Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, Millionaire Mindcast fam? Welcome into today's episode. Ooh. So every once in a while, I get really fired up about my guests and... There are few people on the planet that are not only as smart as this guy, um, but are as humble as this person and are as inspiring as this person. My brother, Mr. David Osborne, um, he's somebody that honestly changed my life forever. Um, anytime I am saying quotes or you know some nugget of wisdom. I often find that I'm referencing something that he told me. Uh, he's been somebody that has challenged me in so many ways. He's hurt my feelings a bunch of times, and he doesn't give a shit about it because he cares about bringing the best out of me. And having mentors and friends and people like that who ultimately want to and will do whatever it takes to bring out the best in you and push you to limits, to heights, to spaces, into experiences that you wouldn't have had without that person. Um, the world needs more David Osborns. And so I'm really excited. He was my second, either first or second episode on the Millionaire Mindcast. We're, you know, 400 plus episodes into the podcast here. And um, David was one of the catalysts for me starting this podcast. So anytime I get to bring him back on and hear what he's up to, being that he is always surrounding himself with billionaires, with millionaires, big thinkers, big action takers. He's got his hands in some of the most insane opportunities. He's got his mind and his um, conversations in the wisest networks in the most tapped in, resourceful, connected communities. And he's just one of these people that you want endless amounts of time with uh, because you know you always leave better, you leave inspired, you leave challenged. And so I'm really excited for you guys to dig in on today's episode. Before we talk about what we um, discussed in today's episode, if you're new to the show, welcome. Be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode of Millionaire Mindcast. We talk all things mindset, money, motivation, market updates to help you on your wealth building journey. We know that everybody's got a different definition of wealth, but we all want the same thing. We want to be happy. We want to be fulfilled. We want to make an impact. We want to live legendarily. And money is a big part of that, but it is not every part of that. And we like to cover all aspects of living like a millionaire, not just in your bank account, right? Not just in your business, but in all aspects and all gardens of your life. And that's what we like to dig in. And we definitely covered a lot of those topics in today's episode. So you guys are going to get a little taste of Mr. David Osborne, one of the founders of GoBundance. Many of you have heard me talk about this mastermind group that I've been a part of for uh, seven plus years. But um, David is one of the uh, most amazing people and greatest friends and mentors I could have ever asked for. So I'm excited to get to share some of his wisdom with you guys today. If you haven't listened to his first episode, go back. It's literally, I think, episode one or two uh, to check it out. You won't be disappointed because literally I've heard this guy talk, you know, on stage maybe 50 plus times. And every single time I walk away with something new, something profound, something impactful 
And when you can be in those kind of conversations, you're going to grow into what you're hearing, what you're listening, what you're surrounding yourself with. And that's why I love selfishly being able to be the host of Millionaire Mindcast. So I'm grateful to be a top 50 and 100 uh, business and entrepreneur podcast in all of iTunes. Thanks to you guys. So if you enjoy these episodes, all I ask is that you either share it with a friend, a family member, tag us on social media, official Mattier across all platforms. It means the world to me, as well as just leave a review on whatever podcasting platform you enjoy listening to this content on. Uh, if you haven't said what up to me yet, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555 and check out millionermindcast.com for any of the links or resources that we talk about in the show. Those will be all at millionermindcast.com on David's episode. Um, so don't forget to check that out and we have all kinds of other cool courses, freebies, spreadsheets, downloads for those of you that are looking for that information. That's at millionermindcast.com and for my wealth builders, for my goal setters, for my planners, uh, head over to the richlifestore.com to check out some of the products that we have for our millionaire mindcast family. So with that being said, I don't want to waste any more time. Get your notebook ready. Get your pen handy. You're going to have a cramp after this episode because David dropped some gems. And uh, with that being said, let's not waste any more time. Let's dig into today's show with my great friend, Mr. David Osborne, right after this quick message from today's show sponsor. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales, and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. What's up, guys? I got the perfect holiday gift idea for you. But first, I got to share a little secret with you about how I'm getting free breakfast while making the holidays easier and way more delicious this year. Enter HelloFresh. With HelloFresh, you guys can keep mealtime exciting with over 40 recipes to choose from every single week. And while everyone loves highlighting how HelloFresh takes the hassle out of mealtime, I like to highlight how much money it can save you. And with the holiday season being as expensive and as hectic as it is, I've personally been loving HelloFresh's 15-minute meals because when I'm busy, spending hours in the kitchen just isn't an option. But eating good, healthy foods is still a top priority, and HelloFresh allows me to do all of the above. And it's as simple as picking my meals, choosing a delivery date, and like magic, fresh ingredients and seasonal recipes arrive right at my doorstep. Everything's pre-portioned, so I literally unload and jump straight into cooking, and boom, my meals are ready in no time. And let me tell you, 
HelloFresh isn't just about dinners. Their new boxes now include easy breakfasts, quick lunches, and even snacks. So whatever you feel like you're missing, they've got you covered for literally every meal. Now, I gotta share this real fast because it was awesome. I recently attended a little get together with some friends and I brought the charcuterie board from HelloFresh's market as my dish and it was a showstopper. Everyone was asking me where I got it from or how I made it and they were blown away when I said HelloFresh. So guys, do yourself a favor this holiday season. Let HelloFresh make your meals fun, easy, and of course, delicious. And don't forget that HelloFresh can also make the perfect gift for someone too. I don't know about you, but food is the fastest way to my heart. And if it's as good and as easy as HelloFresh, game over, gift of the year. And here's my little game changer for you. If you head to hellofresh.com forward slash mindcast free and use the code mindcast free, all one word, you'll get free breakfast for life. Yep, you heard that right. One breakfast item per box for as long as your subscription is active. This is definitely the best offer yet, so head over to hellofresh.com forward slash mindcastfree with the code mindcastfree. Well, I'm excited to welcome in did you know that you were my number two episode? We're in like 400 episodes right now. One of my great friends, all-time mentors, Mr. David Osborne. How are we doing, man? Oh, it's so good to be with you, Maddie. It was a lot of fun. It seems like yesterday, but yeah, it must have been a few years ago Dude, when we did that episode. Right five years ago, episode two, David Osborne. And most people I've heard me tell this story before, but one of the reasons why I started this podcast was because of you was because of my experience at your house in Steamboat when you guys invited me. I think GoBundance was only at like 13 or 14 members. I don't know. We're at what? A couple hundred now, 300 something <laughs> members now. Yeah, 375 now. And, um, and I remember being this 25-year-old kid, you know, coming in there and seeing what, you know, was kind of experiencing and hearing what one millionaire is and then experiencing real life what um, I thought was the right way of being a millionaire, which was living like a millionaire in all areas of your life and not just being bankrupt in a bunch of other areas and having a ton of money to your name. And you were one of those guys that inspired me to journal and create this rich life planner over my shoulder. So many of uh, quotes and, you know, um, messages that I share often are rooted in, you know, wisdom and teaching from you. So I'm excited to have you back on the show. And man, dude, it's been a while since we've actually gotten to hang out. What a deal, man. And it, it's, I love meeting you. You have that energy that makes uh, older entrepreneurs like myself get inspired and remember why we did all the hard stuff we did to get to the financial freedom. You're just so positive all the time. A can-do attitude. And you and I went on some adventures too. We've been to what? Peru together? We've hiked Machu Picchu. We've done Oktoberfest in Germany. We've done... Oktoberfest. That was an epic. We've done v that was still probably top three days of my life. That that 24-hour stint of Oktoberfest and all those shenanigans <laughs> was... Uh, was I think that's where I threw out my back when you and I jumped up <laughs> on the scaffolding and started doing pull-ups. Um, I've never quite been able to do pull-ups like I did again. We were, we'd been drinking maybe just a little and then we tried to have a, a pull-up competition. That was the definition <laughs> of a, to, like, a bucket list adventure. Let's call it a draw. Yeah, that was the definition of a bucket list adventure right there. Now, for those that don't know, David Osborne, I mean, you've written best-selling books, You've got one of the largest brokerages and the real estate brokerages in the world. Um, you've got, you know, your hands in all different types of businesses, real estate investment funds. I mean, all kinds of things. Um, and people always love to know where it all started, right? Like, where did this entrepreneurial bug, 
you know, bite you and when did it kick off your journey? And obviously we can kind of fast forward to where we're at today. Cause I'd really love to know more about, you know, your thoughts on navigating entrepreneurship in today's climate, uh, being that sure. so much has changed and accelerated over the last year. And we haven't really gotten a chance to talk about some of those things, but where did your journey start? I had a rich uncle, Maddie, and the rich uncle, my mom was the, my grandma was the poor sister of a rich uncle. So he would have been my great uncle. So my mom's family, my mom's British was, we were like the poor offshoots of a wealthy family. So I got to be around wealth a lot as a kid. And I honestly think I was just like, wow, that looks better. <laughs> you know, like my uncle who had two Jaguars and a, and a gardener and chickens and a 70 acre farm in Surrey, England, and was a magnanimous, generous guy and would have feasts in his house. And all of us would come. There'd be like 40 people in a room on a big U-shaped table. And of course, he'd be sitting at the head of the table. And I just always thought that looks better. And then he was kind of a mentor of mine early on. He'd give me jobs. I'd be taking the eggs out from under the chickens or I'd be cutting wood or I'd be helping with the hay. So there was a lot. People that grew up on a farm had to do that all the time. I didn't have to do it all the time, but I did a lot of like helping on the farm when I wasn't school and stuff like that. So I kind of got some of that. And um, I think just at a very young age, I just made the decision that I was going to be that like my great uncle, great uncle Ted. And that fed through my life. And I was thinking back about how ironic life was, because even when I was in high school, the kid across the street from me was like the coolest kid in the school, like one of the coolest kids. Everybody looked up to him. They loved him. He had a big personality. He was a big fighter. And I remember around age 16, he turned to me one time and he said, you know, if I can't find the job I like when I'm older, I'm going to come work for you. And I thought, what does he see in me? I'm just a dorky kid that's like one of his hanger honors that I want to be around him too. And and I played Dungeons and Dragons back then and I, I was working as a bagger. So, but for some reason, I think I chose it early. And then people, you know, the stories I remember are people fulfilling and validating that idea. Now, again, in life, I think like the reticular activator, you tend to see what you want to see. So it is just possible. I made this decision as a young man that I want to be financially free. And the conversations I remember are those ones, not the ones about maybe I was good at music or math or pro programming. It was really those conversations. And I've just felt like it was the right thing for me, like I would be wealthy. And then I had a lawn mowing company. I always worked hard. I wasn't a great student, but I worked very hard all through my life. Had a lawn mowing company, grew it up to three trucks, um, got into sales, got into Keller Williams. So I think there was some decision point. And, you know, ultimately, I, I think life always boils down to a decision. Do you want to be wealthy or not? And it's not a bad answer to say no. I know some great right. people that have an incredible blue collar, middle class life. They, they almost live, you know, like a billionaire anyway, because they got all their friends and they have their barbecue and they have the things they love, their fishing, their hobbies, whatever it may be. And that's just, it takes some sacrifice to build wealth and some process and some pain. And so at least it did for me. I don't know if it does for everybody. So ultimately, I just made a decision as a youngster and I think I stuck with it somewhere around 13, 14, actually probably younger than that, 11, 12, 13, somewhere around there. I think I just decided I'm going to be one of the rich guys. Now, when did you start feeling rich, right? Because it's like you, you yeah. kind of have that mental commitment. I'll do whatever the hell it takes, right? You're a hard worker. Right. You don't necessarily need to be the fastest, strongest, smartest. Surround yourself with the people who are. Work your ass off. Find the right opportunity there. You've taught me there are so many different frameworks and so many different processes and strategies out there. And oftentimes, we overcomplicate how we can go out and create success in our life. You know, so for you 
you obviously decided mentally that you were going to be wealthy and, you know, create an amazing life for yourself. When did you actually start to feel like it's becoming real for you? Well, I mean, two things come to mind as you say that. First is um, there are so many nuances to wealth. And, you know, one of my favorite quotes is how do you eat an elephant? And, it, and, and, and the answer is always, it doesn't, if you're going to, it doesn't matter if you're going to eat the whole, whole elephant, you just got to take one bite at a time, right? And, and you think about it, a friend of mine is a really good basketball player. I know you are as well. And he was telling me how he coaches his kid to look at the feet or something of the opponent and then start with the other foot. It was something about how you started to dribble to get around a person. And I was thinking, man, that's a nuance I would never think of in basketball. Uh, but this guy played semi-pro or he played, he got paid to play, but not at the NBA level or whatever. So he's obviously very accomplished in that space. And uh, I thought the same is true of wealth. I think a million little bit of details that I've added and layered onto my life to make me be wealthy that are just like putting your foot forward right correctly when you're trying to dribble the basketball. But mine just have to be around money. Uh, but it doesn't matter. It's not, even though I know a lot, it's not, it shouldn't be intimidating to one of your listeners because you, you're going to have to eat the whole damn elephant anyway. And I'm still eating that elephant. So I'm still eating one bite at a time. Um, and then the second quiet part of your question is, when did I feel wealthy? And that's a, also a very interesting question. I, I became a millionaire and I didn't even notice it. Like I was worth a million bucks. And then I earned a million a year. I didn't even really notice that. I was just blowing through and doing what I had to do and grinding away. And I think when I finally felt wealthy was, was 2013. And that's when I bought my first private airplane, a little King Air. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. The holiday season is coming in fast, and I've got the perfect gift for anyone looking to take their wellness and skincare game to the next level with Caldera Lab. And I'm not talking about just looking good for the holidays, but more so how you will look in 20 years from now, clear skin, less wrinkles and signs of aging, and all this can be accomplished by checking out why 100,000 other men have placed their trust in Caldera Lab. Now, if you're anything like me, skincare has always been an afterthought. It's a woman thing, and I'm not gonna lie. As time has gone on and more research has come out, I've grown a little bit more open to finding a skin routine that keeps me feeling youthful while keeping my skin healthy. And the best one I have found so far is Caldera Lab by a mile. And if you're not familiar with them, Caldera Lab is the leader in men's skincare made with only top tier ingredients and clinical trials have found that 94% of men's skin showed an overall younger looking appearance after using Caldera Lab for a few weeks. One minute in the morning, one minute at night is all it takes to reduce wrinkles, fine lines, signs of aging. And just for our audience, we have an exclusive deal. You're not gonna beat this offer anywhere online. You can use Mindcast at calderalab.com and get 20% off right now. Again, get 20% off with code Mindcast at calderalab.com to make unforgettable first impressions with the best gift this holiday season. 20% off at calderalab.com with code Mindcast. And I was just torturing myself over this decision. Who am I to deserve it? Imposter syndrome. Like, why do I get a private plane? The only reason I even thought about it is because I had a buddy that had a jet. So I was like, and, um, and, and I just bought it. And then I was, a friend of mine said, a coach of mine at the time, he said, look, if you buy this plane, you think you're going to make more money or less money? And I said, uh, probably more money. And I bought it and my income went up every year ever since. Now, is that true, true and unrelated? Sometimes we fool ourselves. It might just be a self justifying reason to own it. 
But I mean, once I had that private plane, I could go to a meeting in Memphis and get home and put, kiss my kids, put them to bed. I didn't have to wait on the airlines. I could work harder and more intensely in a short period of time and, and have more freedom. And not it was only a King Air prop plane, 1985. So it was like, a, you know, it's, it's significant, but it, it, you know, I sold it for 600 grand. So nobody should think it's like a super sonic jet. Uh, but I think at that point, after having that for a year or two, I began to realize, oh, wow, I, I'm actually doing pretty good. Yeah. And before that, I probably didn't think I was. Yeah. And, you know, I was probably worth 40 million at the time. So that just goes to show you how silly you can be as a human um, with your measurement sticks. Um, and then this, the other lesson from that is just like you hanging out with me in Steamboat, just being constantly exposed to these people that think so big and have private jets and stuff always made me feel kind of small. You know what I mean? Even though I was on a real world basis, absurdly wealthy and just dumb to even feel any sense of lack and super grateful and super privileged. But at the same time, the reality is I'm hanging out with guys that make me look like a minnow. So I didn't feel like I'd arrived. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And I think, you know, a lot of people, there's two things that come to mind. There's one living below your means until you realize you really don't need to live below your means and kind of what that correlation looks like and how it maybe can serve you or also hinder you. Um, Cause you kind of talked about two different trains of thought, obviously what live, you know, living lean and in smart and investing wisely along the way, obviously got you there to put you in a position right. to do that. But at the same time, right. You also said, Hey, when I started actually reinvesting and living a little bit bigger, I also brought bigger opportunities, conversations, experiences. So how do you kind of get clarity of when is it, when do you earn the right? Or when do you give yourself permission? How do you give yourself permission to start kind of playing up to higher levels and creating bigger opportunities for yourself? It, it's a staggering process. Like I, I didn't even buy a new car ever in my life, I think until about 2008 or something like that. Um, even then, actually, in 2003, I bought a Lexus. So I'd been like 37 years old. And I was probably... Um, yeah, I might be off on the... I might have been 38. But anyway, I was 37, let's just say. And I was making a bunch of money, like probably a million a year. And I went and bought a $44,000 Lexus. And it was briefly used. So it had been driven for like a year. I had 5,000 miles on it. So I was still trying to save the tax title and license, right? I was living in a house worth 270, way below my means. I mean, you can buy a house usually three times your income. So I could have been in a $3 million house, but I was in a $270,000 house, which by the way, I still have. I've never sold a house I've lived in. That's awesome. Kept them all as rentals. And so I buy this car. And before that, I had driven like this beat up uh, Toyota 4Runner. I'd taken the front bumper and badly damaged it, backing out of my garage too fast, which is speed is, was a flaw of mine back then. <laughs> And uh, I remember I was thinking to myself, I'm going to hate myself for spending 44 grand on a car. That is ridiculous. And then I got in the car and I drove it away. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is an awesome ride. It was a V8. It was the first V8 I'd had. And I just fell in love with it. And then I realized, oh, wow, I, I love this car. And guess what? I'm, I'm better at my appointments. I'm more excited to do my work because I have this car. And then I began to see this correlation because before being cheap and being lean actually really served me because I saw other guys open businesses and like overspend right. and then it would go bad and they'd get crushed. I was buying secondhand cubicles for my offices. I was buying secondhand phone systems. I was building the cubicles myself. I was doing everything I could to save money. And I think that served me. So my businesses became much more profitable than the average Joe. 
But at the same time, it also held me back in other areas of my life. And so once I bought this new car, it was the beginning of this new philosophy I added is that your clothes matter, your car matters, the state of your personal health matters, your body matters, how you look after yourself, your friends matter, your environment matters, your tribe matters. And then I think it's just like layering that in. So what are you comfortable with? I still probably live below my means. I mean, you know, now I am in the $3 million house I could have had at 38, but I'm, I'm making more than that still. I could probably be at a $10 million house. So I'm still living below, but it's very comfortable. And I don't blink at my wife spending a bunch of money redecorating it and making it look beautiful. So I think you just got to constantly do this thing of like, okay, I'm wealthier. I can step it up. But if you're wealthier and you keep low, you're just a cheap bastard. And why would you be that? Right. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But if you go ahead of your income, you're just dumb also because the first downturn and you're crushed. I saw so many guys, even if they hung on, not able to take advantage of 2009, 2010, because they were so overlevered that when the stuff went bad, they were just hanging on and they managed to make it through. But while they were hanging on, I was adding assets because I had all this capital. And then when it came back, I came back double pop, like, you know, the Superman thing. Like it just, my wealth doubled after 2010 and 11 um, after I survived because I had liquidity. So, it's an art form, Maddie. There's no clear answer, but to this day, I today today I understand deeply something I didn't understand in the past, which is that spending money and enjoying life really matters. Mm. Like in having an environment you want to be in really matters uh, because it gives your soul and your spirit a validation and a reason for continuing to expand and grow. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. And you mentioned kind of this feeling of imposter syndrome, right? Like there's this beauty of getting around people who think bigger, act bigger, are bigger. But then there's right this little voice in our head that, you know, this narrative and conversation that we always find a way to, well, I don't know if I deserve to be in this room and right. Or how did I get into this opportunity? And I know a lot of people struggle with that, right? Um, Because you kind of almost, it's kind of the chicken and the egg scenario, right? Of you got to kind of think and feel and show up big sometimes before you are big, but you also don't want to be inauthentic, right? So how did you handle and deal with that? Because I've struggled with that being around guys like you, right? Where, man, I'm so grateful to be in this conversation or be here, but then you also have some of those self-doubts, right? So what do you say to the people that are, you know, trying to shape and expand their identity to level up in life? I mean, part of shaping and expanding is to feel inadequate, right? I mean, if you felt totally adequate, why would you bother shifting or changing anything? True. You know, I think it's worth cultivating a little bit that sort of small, that little person inside that's striving to be better and do more, I think that's worth cultivating. Um, so for me, I just allow that to be. My, my One of my key employees said to me the other day, he goes, you're really humble, probably more humble than you need to be. Now, that doesn't mean I'm not at times bragging or arrogant. What, he, what he's just saying is like, when I present to people, when I'm trying to raise capital for my fund and when I'm doing this, I show up still as that dorky kid that's looking up to the important popular kid next door, right? Even though I've done really well myself. But I think that's useful. Like, I think it's good to be humble, keep your eyes wide open. Um, I recently had a barbecue at a billionaire's house. He just moved here. And uh, I was walking around like the little kid with his hat in his hand, trying to meet all these new VCs that are moving here from California. And even to that guy, I don't walk in like a big swinging real estate guy. I'm just like here to learn. And I'm hoping that if I stay humble and learn, 
you know, one of the guys is the co-founder of PayPal. And I'm hoping maybe like, he'll be like, you know, hey, here's my next great billion dollar company here. I'll sprinkle some magic fairy dust on you and give you a taste. And um, I don't think you get that. You can, you can get it with a certain kind of personality, I guess, and a certain kind of bravado and arrogance. But I don't really have that much personality to throw around like that. So I just kind of show up more like, hey, I'm here to learn. I'm here to be humble. How can I serve you? And I, I met three VCs there and I'm having lunch with all three of them because I pick up people. I pick up talent, just like you described, just like you picked me up and somehow ended up in my house in Steamboat. Yeah. I'm still doing that game. Yeah. Now, I could stop. And sometimes I have the lunches and I'm like, oh, that was disappointing. Um, but I always start off coming in with, and I'll throw out enough little seeds to let them know that I'm significant. Like I'm willing to invest seven figures in their funds and stuff like that, which gets their attention. But I don't walk around like, hey, I'm this big real estate guy that owns the eighth largest residential real estate company in the nation. I, d- I don't do that. I'm like, hey, who are you? And what are you up to? Oh, you're in the funds. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, I'm the largest investor in it. So I might just say I'm the largest investor in a tech fund that's done really well. And that, that gets their interest, but I'm not out there throwing that out first. Does that make yeah. sense? And so I cultivate the little guy. Um, maybe I shouldn't. Maybe there's a different way to do it. But the imposter syndrome is there. Sometimes I'm still flying around private thinking, who am I to deserve this? And why don't I, instead of doing this, like take this money and put it towards climate change or feeding somebody who doesn't have food? And But ultimately, I let all that, those kind of negative self-doubt float, thoughts flow off me. I think they're useful. I think they're useful to be humble and be aware and be attentive. Um and I, I just can't stand people that I meet that are super arrogant and just lost in their own greatness. Because one of my, my for quotes, Maddie, is today a peacock, tomorrow a feather duster. So you're not, you're not going to be a peacock forever. And the more you're comfortable with that, the less it'll feel intense when it changes. Another comment, I, I played golf with a guy. He goes, I'm a pit. I said, what do you do? He says, I'm a pit. I said, well, what's a pit? He said, a previously important person. I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome, dude. I'm going to take that one with me. Because we all come and go. One day you're going to be 90 years old and people won't want to talk to you because you talk too slow and you, you move too slow. They want to want to play volleyball with you. And just be aware of that's the journey. So I try to stay humble and keep that little guy, that little nervous and secure guy. I like to listen to his voice. I just don't let that voice dictate. To yeah, me. I love that. And it reminds me of one of the, the lines from your book, Wealth Can't Wait, which guys, if you haven't read this book yet, um, head over to millionairemindcast.com on David's episode. We'll have all the links to the book. It's an amazing book on really all aspects of wealth. Um, but it always reminds me of what you just said there is the, the thought after the thought, right? You can't always control that first thought that comes into your head, right. but you can control how you engage with the next thought um, and, you know, and how important that is. And this is honestly one thing that you've taught me in terms of, um, you know, I've boiled it down to what I now call the likability formula in terms of, you know, there were times where I felt very imposter why am I in this room with the champions group or all of these different guys, right? That are way further down the road than me. Um, And you said something to me a long time ago that said, you know, people like you, Maddie, we just like you and we want to see you win. Right. Right. And so, you know, when you think about that, of like that humility, but also that confidence of going, ah, maybe I don't know it all, but I'm willing to show up and figure it out add value where I can, be as humble as I possibly can, and see where those opportunities based on my ability to just work my ass off are going to take me. I think that's what right. really opens up so many doors for a lot of people and they kind of stop themselves from walking through those thing, those those doors because you know of whatever that first thought is and they let it run, right? Yeah. I mean, you've got a gift of likability and we've all got like this deck of cards. We've got to play our cards. Yeah. You've got incredible likability, great energy. 
a great curiosity. You've got a bunch of them, right? I don't have as much personality as you. I have some, but I have, I also have the, Hey, I'm here to serve card. Like I can play servant leader very well because I grew up in a very intense family and seemed like a lot of people needed to be taken care of. So I just developed that young. And so we all have our cards. And if you're, you know, your listeners just need to learn what their cards are. But for sure, that first voice that's super paranoid, people can try to suppress that. But my experience is it's best just to let it be part of the tribal council. So in my head, I've got a tribal council. You know, we're not really one person. There's a concept called internal family systems. I think that's what it's called. And it basically says we have a family of people within us. Like there's not just one. You got the anxious one, the brave one, the warrior, the ambitious, the let's chill, like all these different pieces of you that show up at different moments. And to me, it's like, I got my own internal tribal council. So sometimes I just say to the neurotic one, yeah, I know you're a little scared. It's going to be fine. Uh, I'm just going to go to this party and mingle with all these billionaires anyway, but you, you just, you'll just be fine. Just, just trust me. And uh, thank you for reminding me to just be nervous and be aware because it's good to have that awareness. And then I got the, the braggadocious one that yells, you know, like he yelled. Like when I was at that party, just as I was leaving, I yelled at this guy, hey, I forgot your name. It was Chris, right? And I was like, then I was in the car feeling bad. I was like, oh man, I, I just kind of might've embarrassed that guy. And that was me just being the braggadocious, aggressive one. But then as I was driving out, he was walking down. I rolled my window. I was like, hey, Chris, I'm so sorry to like yell at you like that. I, I got a do-over, right? Which was kind of nice. I said, I just had forgotten your name and I was really proud of myself for remembering it. And I apologize <laughs> for that. I shouldn't have yelled. He's like, oh, dude, it's fine. We really enjoyed meeting you. And I was like, okay, cool. I got a do-over. You don't always get that. But even then, it would I beat myself up for long? I mean, there's just so much going on inside our heads. The main thing is to follow the winner strat- the winning strategy, the winning coaches. And the winning coach is to put yourself out there, take risks, you know, try to put yourself in rooms where you're uncomfortable and constantly be open to what's possible for you in the universe. And if you do that, in my experience, there's sort of like this invisible thread that will lead you from success to success. If you're open enough and sensitive enough to tune into it and just willing to keep taking the risk and stepping forward. I love that. I I don't know if I've heard you talk about the tribal council before. Is that something that is new in your world or is that? Yeah. Yeah. It's well, it's, it's, I just used it with you for the first time, but I had been studying internal family systems because my oldest daughter is a therapist. So she'd sent me this concept. And it used, I used to have a coach that coached me about switching channels, like getting out of the catastrophizer into the warrior that was Fred Gross and Brew Joy behind yeah. before the him. But, but, but then my daughter showed me internal family systems. There's a really cool guy, Richard Strauss. I think he talks about this a bunch. He's a therapist. He was on Tim Ferriss' podcast, but. You know, and I was listening to that one going, oh, yeah, we do have like a, he says, we're not really a singular person. We're a multi-person. Like we're a multi, yeah. I can't remember his exact word, but there's more than one persona in our head. And then just with you, I thought it is like a council. It's like a tribe and you just, each person has their role. But, but if you're like trying to play volleyball, you shouldn't listen to the scared, timid one, right? You got to play. Yep. And if you're at a party, but you still want to be grateful for that timid one because it's the one that keeps you like paying attention to your kids when they're climbing on rocks and make sure they don't kill themselves or make sure you don't go like all in on like, you know, Bitcoin when you, you're not sure that it's going to keep going, you know? So there, there's all these different roles, the different sub-personalities pay, play in your life. And it is it's like a tribal council. It's that's very interesting they each have their because you do hear a lot of people, especially elite performers, peak performers, they kind of all have their different personas, right? And they know when, Hey, you know, 
yeah, Kobe's dad today, but he's black mamba and going to slit your throat when he's on the court and he needs to be right. Like, so I love that because it's good to acknowledge who those people are instead of trying to stifle those voices, know when, you know, they're coming up and when they need to go away, when they need to get engaged with. Um, I love that. That, That's, that's a great one. Now I look at one of your, you know, one of my favorite quotes of yours is repetition is the mother of all success. And of all of the areas of life that have, you know, been very successful for you, if you were to boil it down to one or two habits or rhythms in your life that have just been consistent, repetitious actions that you've taken over the course of the last, whether it's the entire career in lifestyle or maybe recently over the last few years, which ones come to mind for you? Number one has always been goal setting for me. The better and better I've got at mastering my goals, choosing what I want, and then holding myself accountable to achieving them, the more explosively amazing my life got. Yeah. And, and, and I'm really good at it now. I journey. When I started, I would write goals down and then not pay attention to not do them, have no integrity around them. And today I'm like the black mamba when it comes to my goals. So I strike my goals. I slit their throats. I get, I get them done, just like you described. I, I, I track them in my journal. I track the important habits. And I really, I, I, I nail goal setting. And I'll show you. Yeah, I know you've seen this a thousand times, but like, that's my, that's my flight. Plan. That's, and I love it. It's my Because it's not, it's no different, right? It, you, you don't. And I, and then I, I got eight gardens of life. Once I got to eight, you know, it modified over time, but I haven't modified it in years. The added addition I made two years ago is now I've got a habit tracker. Ah. And that comes out of the Atomic Habits. It's actually in your journal, something similar, but the book Atomic Habits yep. um, is uh, got that thing where you take certain specific activities and you look at them every single day. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm onto that really good right now. And I'm, yep. I'm enjoying it. So I'm intermittent fasting, no alcohol, no sugar, five days a week. Um, I'm doing my meditation now better than I've ever meditated. I'm doing yoga. Um, I'm doing my physical exercise, my Peloton, you know, those are the kind of things that are my daily listen to a podcast 50 times a year. So I got to strike those off, review my goals a hundred times a year. So twice a week, anything that has a repetitive action beside it, I now have a way to check that off on a separate chart. And and that's been my new ad, but really I, I I know with about 85% certainty that I can write something down and it'll come true. That's pretty powerful. It's amazing. And is that just from trusting in the process and seeing it through enough that now you just, whatever roadblock, hurdle, challenge comes your way, it's just a commitment to the process no matter what? That's right. 100%. I know the process. I know there'll be times when I suck at doing it and I know that I'll get back on track again. I know that I'll be... Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network 
and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first. 50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Crushing it at times. One thing I know I'll never do is quit on the process. I love that. Talk about um, your approach to talent and people. You know, I've heard you say this over and over again, right? You've got your five people around you that, you know, your goal was to make every single one of them making a million dollars a year. You're a talent magnet for so many different verticals of life, not just in business, but you attract the best coaches, you attract the best health nutritionists. I mean, what has been your secret to the success in terms of bringing really exceptionally talented and skilled, but also just well-rounded human beings into your world? And how do you continue to do that, you know, with everything that's going on in your life right now? Yeah, I'm, I am a talent magnet. And I think there's a couple things. If talent's going to work for me, they will see a badass human being who's also humble and scared and willing to admit that he's has this catastrophizer imposter thing going on. So I'm not, unreachable. And then the second thing I do is I, I give really talented people a lot of freedom. And I don't put my put them under my thumb. I would never work for somebody under their thumb. So I bring them on. I pay attention to how talented they are because some people do need a thumb on them. And uh, it's not going to be my thumb, but I can hire people to ha- have their thumb on people. But ultimately, the very best guys that I have probably all think they do their job way better than I could. And they probably think I'm kind of in their way more than helping them. Sometimes I help them. Uh, one of one of my partners in particular who makes about 3 million bucks a year, he works and I make about 3 million a year from a business that he runs and we're partners. And he'll, often, he'll sometimes say to me, oh, that was kind of useful. You were useful today. Like <laughs> implying that most of the time I'm not useful, right? So, oh, you gave me some good ones today, David. Yeah, that was kind of surprising. You know, I'm like, okay, all right, whatever. Um, and then I have, you know, I definitely have partners that are more talented at what they do than I could possibly be and what I could do. So the great talent doesn't want to be like overmanaged. Um, and then, you know, the other talent is just a stepping stone. Like I, I had direct texts or emails with two billionaires last week, right? So I'm, I'm cultivating people in my life that are next level people. I had, um, I've got, I'm meeting, I met with a guy yesterday. They, they have their third fund. They've raised 325 million in like, six months. They're just killing it. And it's inventing, investing in new technologies as they're coming out. I met him through the billionaire, the guy I told mm-hmm. you that moved here from Silicon Valley. Um, and then I'm meeting a guy today that's worth probably $600 million. He's an oil and gas guy. Um, when I meet people that are interesting, I try to think, well, what's my hook? How can I get in with this person? Like if it was Tony Robbins, it was easy. You just had to pay to be in, you know, platinum partners. Um, but with these guys, a lot of times they have funds. So I'm like, okay, you know, I joined Tiger 21, which is a 30,000 a year membership group. 
full of high net worth people. I've met a bunch of people through that. Um, and then I'm just looking for like, who's that winner that can teach me something. A lot of times I'm teaching others and I certainly pour into others a lot, less and less. Everyone can pour into you in some way. So I'm not going to say there's like, you know, your athleticism, your 75 hard was pouring into me that, so it's not money related, but, but generally speaking, it's like, who are you consistently receiving mentoring advice from? And that gets harder and harder as you ascend. Yeah. Um, but I'm constantly looking for them and I'm doing it the same way. Hat in hand, I come in like the little supplicant, but just enough power in me, just throwing out enough nuggets. So they know that even though I look like I'm the doorman, I'm actually, I actually own the hotel. Yeah. Does that make yep. sense? Now they might own the whole state, but I own this hotel, <laughs> yeah. right? So then, uh, so then I work my way in that way and I just rely on that charm and that, um, process. And I try to give before I receive. So I try to give value, um, and, you know, so I'm, I'm having some good vibes right now. I'm rolling through some pretty interesting folks. And just like anyone, you are the closest, the five people you hang out with the most is, is who you become. And I'm, I'm trying to step that circle up all the time. Yeah. I was going to ask you in terms of, you know, for someone at the level that you are at and really have been at for a long time, you're somebody that I've always admired your curiosity and willingness to, you know, ask really great questions, uh, hire coaches, you know, still involved in masterminds, right? What What is it that keeps you consistently, you know, committed to that discipline of networking, of education, of growth? How do you not get complacent in the world that, you know, many people would say is, you know, ideal and you don't need to do anything anymore? You know, I just don't, I have this kind of fear of like being settled, you know, deciding that I've got what I want, deciding there's no more room to grow. I mean, I think life is, the status quo is very boring yeah. to me, very uninteresting. And that would include me. So I don't want to fall into the status quo. I've got every opportunity if I wanted to do, just walk around and do nothing and act like a big swinging person, you know, and a, like an overly proud of myself person. But the reality is there's so much more I want to learn. There's so much more to do. I want to see if I can take my wife and I relationship to a 10 out of 10. So we hired a conscious loving coach. Uh, we're trying to learn to communicate each other with each other in a different way where we talk about our feelings. Um, I am, you know, trying to surround myself with these billionaires just to see what they know that I don't. I'm also trying to take more time off and spend it with my family and there's just always this cutting edge of knowledge that if you allow it to seep into you, creates change and transformation. And just like you wouldn't want your four-year-old to stay as a four-year-old, I view myself the same way. I'm just a child of life and I'm trying to keep that growth going. I don't want to get settled or set in anything. And so I don't know where that comes from, but it. it just seems to me that it's it's the only way to live. It, the status quo is It's also, death. I think, uh, one of the highest forms of leadership, in my opinion. Um almost somewhat passive leadership, like the way you show up in your life. And as you lead by example, not just being a messenger, but living your message every day, you don't even have to communicate to me. And yet you're inspiring people like me and others around you, right? So I look at the people that are constantly growing, challenging themselves, putting themselves in those uncomfortable situations, you know, people who look like they've got it all figured out, but actually are being humble and saying, well, I don't know this. Um, that inspires me, right? And so when you look at that ripple effect, I look at that and I, I chalk it up to be not only a high form of leader for yourself, but just in general, other people. And so, you know, I see you always looking to lead 
every year in cracking the code or challenging yourself in some area. I'm curious for 2021 after coming out of 2020, um, and maybe you can share on what 2020 was for you as well, spotlighting some areas of growth for yourself, or maybe, you know, looking back on 2020, some of those lessons that came out of what was, you know, one of the craziest years, I think for a lot of people, but also one of the best years for a lot of people. What were some of the things that showed up for you last year? And what are you maybe focusing on this year in terms of growth? So last year was for me a blessing because I was over traveling and I didn't have a good handle on my travel as being a guy that says yes to a lot of stuff. I think 2019, I traveled, I was in the air 220 hours and 2020, I was in the air 80 hours. So I got back, I got back, I don't know how many trips that is, but 60% of my airtime and and a lot of that trips came at the very end when I finally realized I had to travel to, it's a long story. So so I got to stabilize and be with my family. I taught my son how to ride a bike at three. Um, I got my daughter into guitar. She wanted to do guitar. So I just went and took lessons with her. We both learned how to play the guitar together. But she's way faster. The young mind is so much quicker at absorbing stuff. Um, really spending time with family was fantastic for me. And then running the businesses virtually. I, I hate Zoom, but it is way more effective to have a one-hour Zoom call with you than to fly to California. Yeah, right have an hour meeting and then fly back. Right. So that was all the blessing for me. Um, so for me, that was weird. It's super weird what happens in the world and the world's always been weird, but that was an especially super weird year last year. Um, the way people react to it is fascinating to me. It always has been from the people that say this virus doesn't exist to the people that are not leaving their home for a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got these two extremes yeah. and then a lot of them so certain they're right that they're yelling at each other. And I felt like this guy in the middle going like, I don't know. Like I, I know one thing. One thing that's great about it being older is I know how little I know. So I know I know very little. I'm not going to argue with you whether masks are helpful or not helpful because I got no idea. And I'm not going to do the research. And even if I did, there's like probably 20 pro and 20 con. And it's just a crazy thing for people to be so opinionated about things that I that I I don't know. And I feel like I'm a fairly intelligent person. So, you know, Take that and factor all that in and say, like, how can you be so yeah. certain? The politics was crazy. Oh, my <laughs> Lord. Last year with the politics. I'm so glad to be done of that, even though you know I'm, I'm a capitalist at heart. But I just it was crazy. Uh, Trump was such a name inflammatory figure in, in society, whether you loved him or hated him. That's probably the most inflammatory figure I think I've ever yeah. seen in, in society. Life feels boring. <laughs> nothing to nothing to talk about on the news right now, right? Way better. It's though. way I mean, better. It, it, You're it right. Yes, it is. Boring, but it's way better. The division is gone, and whatever you know. But anyway, I don't want to get lost in it. Um, because I don't see anyone as good or evil, right? I see some good stuff and some bad stuff. So again, I don't know. I can't get caught in this. Oh, this is all good, and this yep. is all bad, which people seem to have such a craving for. So fascinating study in humanity. But for me, last year was about family time and, and slowing down and, and realizing I don't need to do all that crazy travel. And then this year, what I'm working on is more around the kids. Um, I had this shocking realization. So my oldest daughter's 33. She's amazing. She's about to get married. She's a therapist. Um, and I just love her to death. We have a very special relationship. My 11-year-old daughter is about to turn 12. And I told my wife this morning, actually, but I thought of this last week. We got six more summers. You know, there's six more times yeah. that my daughter is going to be in this house that actually I have some control over what she does. Maybe not even say, yeah. you know? And so that to me was like really revelatory. So what I would like to do in this year is 
and I'm in this great group, Front Row Dads with John Broman. Yeah. And I just like to pour into my kids even more. Like I'd like to figure out, Do- Bella loves drama. Is Could I find her a, a boot camp for drama? Could could I take the guitaring? Because we've, sl- we've slacked off on the guitaring since school started this semester. We haven't been practicing and doing it. And, you know, again, I'm pretty accountable. But when your partner's like, no, nah, I don't want to, it, it just wears on yeah. you. And so I haven't forced that issue. But could we do a really fun one month boot camp you know i'm I'm contemplating maybe in 2022 traveling the world for a year with my family while i still have the right you know what i mean yeah. and creating memories and yet still running my businesses so i'm like Eve, that's really what i'm how, how can i take it just another level that makes sense so that's kind of where i'm at for 2021 i love it i want to shift over i would be doing a disservice to our listeners if we didn't talk a little bit about wealth in terms of i'm curious you know what are what do you where do you see the opportunities at that you're focused on maybe in, in your world and what are you hearing you know in some of the networks the the billionaires the the mastermind groups that you're involved in what are people excited about what are they paying attention to where's money flowing to right now yeah we're in a crazy time money's flowing to in there's a massive amount of money out there and it's flowing to almost every asset class that cash flowing assets including real estate and then crazy startup ventures and funds. The SPACs are crazy. Right. And, um, you know, for me, I'm, I'm writing two more books on wealth. One, I'm excited about them. One is to do with real estate. And real estate's still my bread and butter, Maddie. It's where I've made my money. It's not glorious. It's not exciting. I'm meeting these young Silicon Valley kids now. And I'm like, wow, why can't I have been more like that when I was 30? But ultimately, um, I still love real estate. It's the safe, steady way to be wealthy. It's the it's the everyman way to be wealthy. So I think real estate still is a great play. I think there's a long way to run on single family residence. And I know people, you know, as rentals, people are like, well, how can that be? So much has happened. And I, I, there's still a housing shortage in the United States. There's right now, I see housing arbitrage going on. People are moving from San Francisco to Austin, where you can get a double the size of the house still for half price. I mean, the prices here are rising, but there's like a housing arbitrage. We're coming up to those bigger cities. But that means in the smaller towns, there's another. So we take Austin's here now. There's these other little towns. There's also housing arbitrage there. You can buy in small like places like Elgin, Texas, or Taylor, Texas, or Liberty Hill, which used to be insignificant. And there's housing arbitrage there. A little thing I did. And now, how long does this continue? There's always the chance it stops. But I went to a new housing development and I bought a, a, a Tubi bill for 330 grand. Again, I'm, you know, this is just experimenting, yep. not, not my main bread and butter. And they were supposed to deliver it to me by June or something. They haven't even broken ground. They're so busy. They've already raised the prices 40,000. So that little 330 house is now worth 370. They're, they're selling the same model at 370, although they've sold out. So they're not selling anything right now. And they're like, yeah, we're probably going to break ground in May. So they're like so far behind. So what when they finish that house in 2022, and this is available to all your listeners, yeah. right? This is a simple strategy, not moving my needle, but I just thought, wow, I wonder if, right? When they finish that house, and I wouldn't be surprised if I was up a hundred grand, I could turn around and and with a fifteen hundred dollar deposit, turn that into like say, let's say seventy five thousand in profit, because I could flip the house. I might keep it, I might turn it into a rental, but just think about that. Like that's available to everyone. Yeah. How long does that last? And that's always the risk. Inflation could kill it. A spike in interest rates could kill it. Um, but the bottom line is, we we since the last great crash, we have been about 
a million uh, homes short of what's needed, you know, for household formation. And you need to build, I believe, about a million a year just to keep up with household formation, maybe a million two. So you got to add, um, you got to add about a million five for four years to catch up with that shortfall. And I think actually the shortfall is more like a million and a half. So, you know, and the builders are very spiked yeah. right now. They can't build anymore. They're at maximum capacity. The trades aren't there. The product, the process aren't there. So I just still think housing has a way to go. Um, and there's some data that backs me up on that. The ITR reports, but that doesn't mean I'm right. So all of your listeners should know it doesn't mean I'm not I'm right. And then the other side of that is the extreme tech play. And if you want to, you know, if you had a bunch of money, I think you you could take some risk in like Bitcoin or high tech or cloud computing. It's all going to the cloud. So cloud flare, Databricks, anything that's, and again, I'm not a stock picker, but this is just, you ask my opinion. So this is my opinion, yeah. but that stuff's more of a wild ride. So you have to be willing to ride the ups and yeah. downs. So this, a friend of mine called me the other day. She said, I'm thinking about Bitcoin. You think I should go? And I said, how much money have you guys you got? 120 grand. I'm like, no, you should go buy three single family homes. Yeah. You got a million two, put 120 in Bitcoin. You know, unless you've got that, that sort of disposition to be all in all the time. If you've got that disposition, that rare, crazy gambler, and you're okay if you go to zero, then sure, take your 120 grand, put it in Ethereum, see what happens. It, it might do way better than real estate, but it also could go to zero. You have to be willing with those binary outcomes. I made most of my wealth the slow way, which is you know, betting on assets that pretty much wouldn't fail in the long run. Real estate doesn't fail in the long run. There are exceptions to that. You could buy in the neighborhood that gets worse and worse or has some kind of gas leak or a water problem like Flint, Michigan. But generally speaking, 95% of real asset, real assets go up over a 10 year period. Yeah. And so let your tenant pay that down for you and let the appreciate, let the bank lend you money on it. So you've got leverage and let your, you know, let your appreciation take care of your wealth, I think is a very steady and true way to do it. But you know, there's the Bitcoin billionaires and all this other stuff going on too, that I've, I'm dabbling in, but it's no less than, it's no more than 10% of my net worth that I fool around with that. Stuff. And as we wrap up for the sake of time, I want to make sure that we get you out of here on time. You know, a lot of people um, are chasing the sexy, fast way to wealth, right? And I just wanted you to touch on this because you know I've I've always um, learned from from you, right? Wealth is made in the crockpot, not the microwave. And right now, especially for those young people that are coming into a little bit of money or a stimulus check or whatever, right? They're going to the fast wealth that ultimately isn't either sustainable or it's high risk. Um, and I'm curious on your thoughts on that because I remember a conversation not too long ago and you said, you know, um, even getting to a million, you know, a lot of people get to a million and all of a sudden they take their eye off of what got them to a million and could really get them to five a whole lot quicker if they just stayed chopping wood right there instead of getting all excited and diverting attention and energy and resources to this and to that and to that. And it takes them two, three, five times as long to get there is if they were to just chop that wood over and over and over again. So what, what is your message to the people that really want to build wealth, want to create an amazing lifestyle for themselves and the reality of the timeline and the discipline that goes into actually unlocking it and sustaining and then growing it versus making it quick and it being as easy and effortless as we're seeing in a lot of headlines with NFTs and SPACs and Bitcoin and all the shit that's going on right now. Well, I think for every 99 
people out of a hundred that invest in like SPACs and Bitcoin and stuff like that, you know, one makes it big. I really do. Maybe, maybe it's 90, 10, maybe 10 make it big and 90. And I think for every 90 out of a hundred people that invest intelligently in real estate, 90% win. So you just got to say, what are those odds? Like if I were a young person listening to your podcast today and I got my stimulus check and I could figure out somehow, some way with my parents co-signing or with some scraping down and those down payment or selling my car and just Ubering everywhere, scrape up the down payment for a house, buy a three, four, five bedroom house, rent out to your roommates and let your roommates pay your house off for you. Called house hacking. Diego Corzo is a 30-year-old immigrant dreamer that doesn't even have a freaking legal green card or whatever because that screwed up system. Hopefully that'll be fixed now. He he is already a multi, you know, he's already a millionaire. Yeah. He's already got multiple streams of income and he's already living off his horizontal passive income and doing great. And that's what I would focus on because it's tangible and it works. Now, if you are like a biochemist from Stanford, don't listen to me. You're smarter than me anyway. Go do something else. Go create a new product that eliminates plastics from the ocean, change the world like Peter Thiel talks to in his zero to one. But if you are a regular dude, like a C student, like I was, maybe a B student, whatever, and you're not that chemical engineer or that scientist, crying out loud, just buy real estate right now. Don't wait time. Don't wait. Don't waste time. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Go If you're young, go have two or three roommates before or you realize how much you, people annoy you. When you're young, you don't realize that. So you can have them all live with you. And that's what I did. My first home, I had two roommates. They were paying me 350 bucks a month rent. I had the master and my entire payment was 800. So for $100 a month, I was living in the master. I thought I was living like a king. And so, you know, I would do that game. And then from that, I have 101 single family houses today and I make a half million from those houses net. Whether I, Well, I just refied them. So that's an interesting story, but we'll talk about that another time. So I have a 101 single family homes and they make me a half million a year in net whether I do anything or not, right? So that's the game I would play. And then as you play that game, other opportunities will own, open up. As you start climbing the wealth ladder, new opportunities open up. I'm in a fund right now that I put a million in that's returning me 12 to one. And it, but if I had tried to play that fun game, mediocre return, nothing. Yep. You know, so if you if I had been playing that game when I had $120,000, the odds are eight to one that I have lost my money. But because I played the slow, steady wealth game, I didn't invest in anybody else's stuff until 2013. So I already had a, what is that, 26-year career or 27-year career? Or I mean, I mean, maybe off a little bit on the numbers. Um, and so I'd been investing in my own stuff for 20 years, using my own wits, my own skill, my own franchises, my own real estate investments. And then I started diversifying and I had a lot of losses early. And so when you've got that 120 grand, if you lose that 120 grand, you're out of the game. You got to go then work your regular job for three years to get that 120 grand back. Whereas if you just park it in something that grows 10% a year, maybe with leverage from the bank, you're getting 15. Well, then in five years, that 120 is now worth 240. And if you've saved another 120 in that time and maybe invested in a few other things, maybe you're now to half a million. And then maybe you double that again in 10 years, in five more years, and now you're at a million. Now, all of a sudden, you're in a place where you can take a hundred grand and go throw it at Bitcoin, throw it at something crazy, take 10% of your wealth and hit for the home runs, but keep 90% in the base hit. I might even say 95.5. And that's the game I would play. That's really what I think the smart, strategic, crude way to, to wealth is. But like I've said all along, Maddie, I could be wrong. You could be wrong, but uh, I'm going to look at your resume and track record and say I might 
listen a little bit closer to the words that are coming out of your mouth, Dro. As always, man, it's a pleasure hanging with you, chatting with you. Uh, guys, if you want to know ways to get connected to David, his books, all the amazing stuff that he puts out, um, one of the smartest and most generous and humble guys as you've seen and heard here today, where's the best place for them to go check out some of your stuff, Dro? You know, davidosborne.com or I am David Osborne on Instagram. Um, that would be it, Maddie. It's always great to spend time with you, brother. I'm a big fan of Maddie H's, and I can tell you that. Much love, Drew. Thanks, man. All right. Take it easy, brother. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So, If you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info and how you can connect with us live in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend. 